The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. We're going to talk about gospel-shaped people this morning, and the title of my message, if you're a note-taker, is Trials. The word gospel means good news. The gospel that we refer to as Christians is the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins that he rose again, triumphing over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. And last time that we talked about the gospel and how it shapes us, we said the gospel saves us, strengthens us, and shapes us. And this week we're going to talk about how the gospel shapes us through trials. Has anyone ever had a trial before? I'm not talking about Judge Judy trials. I don't know. Maybe you've had some of those too. I don't know. But we've all gone through trials, or maybe we are going through trials. We could be in the middle of a trial right now that we're facing, and the gospel shapes us through all of those trials. Uh, The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, affects literally every part of our lives. It is the center of of what should be the Christian's life. And everything that we do should be driven by the gospel. So we're going to talk about how the gospel shapes us this morning through those trials. First of all, the gospel shapes me through mistakes. That means the things that are my fault, the things that I've done. The gospel can shape me through my mistakes. The road to success is paved with mistakes well handled. And you should not count your failures as wasted time. If you learn from your mistakes, you can actually be redeemed in those mistakes, and those mistakes can instead push you further rather than hold you back. They can become a diving board, a launching pad, instead of an anchor that holds you back. Because your mistakes do not define you, they should refine you, and the gospel helps us to move past regret. Because if we live in regret, we live in the past, then all of a sudden our mistakes can become an anchor. But if we are gospel-shaped people, the gospel can propel us and shape us through the mistakes that we make. If you have your Bible, go over to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read one verse here. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Some of you know this one by heart. I would highlight it and underline it in your Bible Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, that's a good scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we make mistakes, when we fail, when we mess up, when we blow it, there should be guilt associated with making mistakes. Guilt is good. We shouldn't run away from guilt. Matter of fact, if we do wrong things and we make mistakes and we don't feel some measure of guilt, we need to check our heart. Does the Spirit of God really live on the inside of us if we're not experiencing some measure of guilt for the wrong things that we've done so we can repent, so we can turn from those things? But yet condemnation speaks to something different because guilt speaks to what I've done, but condemnation, that really speaks to who I am. It speaks to something much deeper than what guilt speaks to. And a lot of people deal with shame. And they live in constant shame and condemnation of who they are. And they associate themselves and identify themselves with the things they've done in the past. Or maybe the things that they're currently struggling with. 
And it becomes something that shapes their identity. And when they look in the mirror, they see the shame. When they look in the mirror, they see the chains and the bondage and the struggle. And they see the sin. And they see themselves wrapped up in this thing. And it just brings all of this weight and condemnation on them. Folks, guilt is good. But condemnation and shame, that is not who we are if we are in Christ. If you are in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. And there is no condemnation. There is no shame for the person who is now in Christ because the law, the spirit of life, has set us free from the law of sin and death. We now, who are in Christ, should not live condemned because we have been made free. It takes a while for us to catch up with this idea, though, because just because something is true doesn't mean that I'm actually living it out and understand it quite yet. Because so many of us have so much weight and so many things in the past that we're dragging this stuff along when Christ said, no, you're free, you're new, you're a new creation. But we have to renew our minds to think in line with Scripture and we have to think the way Christ wants us to think so that we can see ourselves the way Christ wants us to see ourselves. He doesn't want us to see, us, he doesn't want us to see ourselves as someone who's in bondage and who is a slave to sin. Now, before you knew Christ, it made sense for us to be slaves to sin because we didn't know Christ. We were in bondage. And if we're in bondage and if we're a slave to sin, what are we going to naturally do? We're going to do what our master tells us to do. And if sin is our master, then we're going to live totally in sin. And we don't really feel that guilty about it. We could do wrong things and not really feel all of that guilty about it. And the shame that we felt maybe was just a part of our identity. And we would look at our past and it would just shape us and mold us and define us. But our mistakes as a follower of Christ do not shape us. It's the gospel that shapes us. It now becomes a new creation that begins to be shaped. Now I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a child of God, so therefore he is my Lord. He is my master. And if he's my Lord and my master, Scripture tells me that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. I'm no longer under condemnation because I'm in Christ. And that knowledge of knowing who I am in Christ shapes me through my mistakes. So now I can learn from my mistakes instead of let them hold me back. Now I can become wiser and those things can actually propel me because I did something, it didn't work out or I blew it and the gospel can help me to learn from it because I'm not identifying with my past, rather I'm learning from it. The gospel can help us through those trials because I'm no longer viewing myself as someone who is a slave to sin, but I'm viewing myself as a free person in Christ. So I need to receive forgiveness. And I need to receive that forgiveness so I can see myself as forgiven in Christ. I want to share a story with you. Back in 2006, we started a church called The Crossing Point. That was the name of our church in Texarkana, Texas. We met every Sunday in a barbecue restaurant in their banquet room. And this is the picture of that room. And there's me with my orange guitar leading praise and worship. And there's Pastor Keith back there playing the acoustic guitar. My wife is over there running the PowerPoint. And the other girl is Adrienne. She was one of the gals that moved with us from Oklahoma to help us start the church. And I don't know where Pastor Keith's wife Cassie is, but she's probably taking care of the kiddos or rocking out on the drums. I don't know. But the crossing point was our church that we started. And we had a vision. We had a passion. 
Our hearts were burdened for this area, and we knew without a shadow of a doubt that we had been called to this area. And God did some amazing things in that church, but it ultimately didn't work out. And as I look back on Texarkana, I don't count it a mistake. I don't count it as I missed God. No, I know God was in it, but did I make a lot of mistakes through that time? Yes, absolutely. A lot of arrogance, a lot of not listening to other people, and it hurt me. And it hurt my family. I prioritized the wrong things because I put the cart before the horse in certain areas, even when other people were telling me to slow down and to not do this quite yet. I wanted to do this because I thought this would help the church to grow, and it ultimately hurt the church, and it actually hurt my family personally. It hurt friendships. I blew a lot of things. I made mistakes. God was totally in that church, and God was definitely moving on our hearts to do this, but it became a very stressful thing. But I'm grateful for that three-year experience. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it happening the way it happened because I'm not defined by those mistakes I made while I was planting that church. That doesn't define me. You don't look back at the crossing point and say, oh, well, that's that's Derek. That's, that's who he is. No, no, no. I, those mistakes I made there during that period don't define me. I have been able to learn from those things. And now looking back going, you know what? If I had that to do over again, I know a lot of different things I would have done differently. But yet I'm not allowing the mistakes I made while we were planting that church to be something that anchor me down and keep me from moving forward. And keep me feeling sorry for myself. And keep me going, oh, well, it didn't work out. I, I should never try to pastor again. What if, what if I would have allowed that to defeat me to where I never pastored again? Uh, I, I, just, I just don't have what it takes, I guess. I just couldn't do this. Didn't make good decisions. Yeah, I didn't, guys. I messed up, but those things did not define who I was. I had to be defined by who I was in Christ so that I could pick myself up, look at Christ, and see myself in Christ and I could keep moving forward. And I could keep doing what he had called and created me to do. So I'm grateful for that experience. There were, there were a lot of good things that happened there, no doubt. But yet, those mistakes have been used and turned from what the enemy meant for destruction and can actually be used for the glory of God because I'm being shaped by the gospel. Look over at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, the apostle Paul says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here the Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he tells him, listen, the Bible, the Word of God, it's breathed by God, and it's good for teaching. Yes, use it for teaching. We all agree the Bible is good for teaching, but not just teaching for reproof, for correction, that as I see things in Scripture, if my life is out of line, if my leadership and my family, if these things are out of line, I need to get back in line. The Word of God helps to shape my life and help to set me on the path that I need to be on because we can get wonky, we can get off course, we can sway and drift into the other lane, and we can make mistakes, but yet the scripture shows us how to realign and how to get back where we need to. I need to be centered in the gospel. I need to see the truth of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not living under condemnation, but yet I'm living free and I'm able to do what he's created me to do. Romans 8 and 28 says that all things work 
for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. The gospel shapes me through mistakes. The gospel also shapes me through misfortune. The gospel shapes me through mistakes, yes, but it also shapes me through misfortunes. That means the things that aren't my fault, situational things that are beyond my control. You know that we can't control a lot of things in this life. And the things that we, we can't control when they go awry, when all of a sudden the car breaks down, when maybe there's a death in the family, when your company decides to cut jobs by 50% and your job happens to be one of them. There are things outside that weren't necessarily your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't deserve this. You just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. The housing market just crashes and, and, and inflation goes up. You were just living. You were just in this space. And all of a sudden, these things begin to happen around you. The gospel can still shape you through your misfortunes. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. Paul says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says here that, listen, we're not going to lose heart over this. This is a light momentary affliction. affliction. This life is, is a vapor. It's short. It doesn't last long. And whatever trial, whatever misfortune we, we may be experiencing, it's a light thing once we compare it to the weight of eternity. When we look at eternity, man, our light afflictions, they are momentary. So many times we just want resolution. We want everything to just go our way. But the gospel helps us to see eternity. The gospel gives us a glimpse and a hope of eternity beyond this life. And so the gospel helps to shape the way that I look at misfortunes that come my way. The good news is that because of Jesus, any misfortune I experience is momentary. Isn't that good news? That's gospel. That any misfortune I experience is light and momentary because God wants me to live in light of eternity. Following Jesus changes our focus from the temporary to the eternal. Nothing is greater than the fact that we get to avoid eternal punishment in hell because of Jesus. That is the greatest news, the best news. And anything else, that we experience here in this life, it's temporary. And we need to remember that. Romans 8 and 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He said, man, it's just a momentary thing. I, I consider that the sufferings in this present world, the things I can't control. You know what? I remember... A couple years ago, back when the election was happening, the presidential election, man, our country was, was just angry. If you were on Facebook during that time, watch out. Something might jump out of your phone and hit you. Because people were just ugly. They were ruthless. But it doesn't matter 
whether or not the person you wanted to sit in the White House is sitting in the, in the White House or at the Oval Office. It doesn't matter if the person you wanted to be the governor is the governor. Those things don't affect my eternity. Yeah, I need to do my part. I need to vote for the person that I believe is the most God-honoring person to vote for and the one that God wants me to, to do my part, but I can't change those outcomes. But people freak out over things that they can't control and they don't have peace. Just like when things begin to happen on the job, all of a sudden rumors go around that there's going to be layoffs. Everyone's freaking out. That's the natural thing to do when you do not have hope in Christ. But if you know Christ and your misfortunes are shaped by the gospel, you can have hope in the middle of all of those things. To where your life becomes a testimony and a witness to the watching world that they begin to see you live with a peace that passes your understanding, that guards your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus to when everyone else is freaking out, they ask you, why aren't you freaking out too? And instead of you complaining about the boss and complaining about the government and complaining and complaining, instead of you living your life in negativity and complaining... You live your life with peace and joy, and it doesn't make sense because you're supposed to be upset like everybody else. And you don't get suckered into another Facebook argument with someone to try to be right because you're smarter than that. Amen? Okay. But here's the thing. You can have peace because you're living in light of eternity, and you know that these momentary afflictions that they are light, that they're momentary compared to the weight of eternal glory. And yeah, there's going to be struggles. Yeah, there's going to be hardships. Yeah, there's going to be things that just aren't fair. And it's not right. And not everything is going to work out your way just because you follow Jesus. But you can have a peace and a joy that supersedes and transcends the circumstances of your day. Did you know that? Did you know that's where the peace and joy comes from? We got this bad bad, bad, bad teaching somewhere along the way, that the only way I can be happy and have peace is when things go my way. So I think God is my ticket to make everything go my way. Uh, have you read the Bible? Mm, that's not the way that the Bible reads when you see just because you're a Christian doesn't mean things go your way. The difference between us and the world is not that things go our way because we follow Jesus, because we still have trials just like everybody else. You know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? I mean, whether you're good or bad, whether you're Christian, non-Christian, the rain falls, you're outside, you're going to get wet. doesn't matter who you are. The difference is, is that I have a peace in the middle of that storm. The difference is, is that I have a joy that comes from the Lord and it gives me strength so that I can look through the lens of eternity because of the gospel and because it's shaping my view. It's shaping my values. And you know what? I can say, well, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. So I know there's layoffs coming and maybe my job is, you know, on the chopping block. But I still have a peace and I can have a joy because I, I, I can be content wherever I'm at. 
Because of Christ, not because of things. Because your joy and your peace and your security should not be who's sitting in the Oval Office. It shouldn't be in the car you drive. It shouldn't be in the house that you live in. It shouldn't be the number of money that's in your, uh, the number of dollars in your bank account. It shouldn't be how much money you've got in your retirement. It shouldn't be based on Wall Street. It shouldn't be based on any of those things. It should only be based on the gospel and the gospel alone. The good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. And then I can be forgiven and I can be made right in the eyes of God. And man, if something goes well in my life and God blesses me with something, that's just a bonus. That's not why I follow him. I follow him because he saved my soul. I followed him because he's forgiven me and made me righteous in the eyes of God because I couldn't do that on my, on my own. I'm not that great. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. That's the gospel. And the gospel also gives me assurance that I'm going to be with him in eternity. And so because I have this eternal perspective, man, the stuff that happens in this world. That's why Jesus said, why are you fearing what man can do unto you? He can kill the body, but he can't kill the soul. Why, why are you worried about that? Why are you concerned about other people? You don't have to live afraid of death. If you know Christ... There's no fear. Death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. I consider that this present suffering is just a momentary light thing. I'll share with you another story about when I needed strength in 2007, when my daughters Abigail and Leah were born. I needed patience and I needed comfort. These were my twin girls back in 2007. When they were born, you can tell which one is Abigail. She has her hand taped up um, with an IV there. And uh, that was after she had 10 other lines taken off of her. And that was the first time that we got to take a picture and actually put her sister next to her. Uh, that was the first time they had actually been together since they were born. Um, because we had to keep them separate because Abby was in one of those little, you know, kind of cradle things that they keep them in when they're in the ICU. And uh, she had all these lines and all these wires running out of her, keeping her alive. And that was unfortunate. That was unfortunate that that happened. It, it would have just been a simple drug administered if the hospital staff would have caught it. And we wouldn't have had to go through uh, three months of just intensive uh, dealings with the hospital and brain scans and all sorts of terrible things. And then... Back in 2014, some of you that were around Word of Grace back then would remember my son, Josiah, was riding his bicycle, and he has a bicycle wreck, just a kid riding a bike. It has to be rushed for emergency surgery at Children's Hospital because his pancreas had broken in half. Actually, not half. It had broken 80-20, and 80% of it got removed. And we were in Children's Hospital off and on with him for three months, so we had this happen with Abigail. We had this happen with our son. And you go, you know, it wasn't, the devil wasn't in the bicycle. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It wasn't some kind of evil bicycle that we should have prayed for, you know, and that wouldn't have happened. It was just a kid that just had an accident. It wasn't fair that we had to go through that. It was just a simple, you know, misread on the doctor's part that would have prevented this whole thing with Abigail when she was born. It's just it's not fair. And I needed peace. 
I've had two of my kids almost die. And I had to come to peace with God through reminding myself of the gospel. I had to trust that he was good. I had to come to the place where, Lord, if it's their time, then it's, it's their time. And, Lord, I need to live in light of eternity. That's a hard thing for a parent to have to come to grips with, but that's where peace had to come in and say, I have to live in light of eternity, and I'm not some type of special person that has some type of a amazing faith, and you look, well, you're a pastor. Of course, you're, of course you're supposed to pray and have all this. I mean, no, no, I don't get a pass, okay, because I'm a pastor. I don't get like an express lane with God, okay? There's no self-checkout with God just because I'm a pastor. That's not how it works. I feel the same emotions you would have felt. I thought the same thoughts you would have thought had you gone through this. And maybe you have been through this. Maybe you've been through something worse. I don't know. Maybe, maybe what I've been through and what our family's gone through with our two kids is, is a drop in the bucket compared to some of the challenges you faced. I just know that the gospel has shaped me through my mistakes, things I've done wrong. I know the gospel has shaped me through my misfortunes and has strengthened my resolve and my faith in Christ. And I've been able to see how the gospel continues to shape me also through mistreatment when things are someone else's fault. It's not your fault. It's not circumstantial. Somebody else did you wrong. You know that somebody done somebody wrong song? That's what we're talking about. It's when you've been done wrong. I mean, when it was not your fault, the other person was just straight up wicked. And they were evil. They were mean. They were spiteful. They were hateful. They were dishonest. They were untrustworthy. They lied. They manipulated. They schemed. They abused. Whatever. The gospel can shape you even through mistreatment because we've all been mistreated. Every one of us. Some of us more severe in other ways, and, but you will always deal with mistreatment at some level in this life because guess what? Not everybody's going to treat you the way you want to be treated. Have you figured this one out? You didn't even have to get dressed and come to church this morning to hear that. Like, you know that. We all know this. The gospel can shape me through mistreatment because here's what the gospel reminds me of. The gospel reminds me that I am a conduit, not a container. That what God has done in me and what he has blessed me with and given me, it's not so I can store it all up on my own. It's so he can pour in me and I can pour out. It's so that what's been extended to me, I can extend to other people. It's so the grace that he's shown me can be shown to other people. And the gospel begins to shape me through mistreatment because I can see my sin and my failures and I can see how God's grace is sufficient enough for me. So his grace in me is sufficient enough for those who offend me and mistreat me. Amen, somebody? Am I just supposed to forgive other people when they do me wrong? You don't understand what they've done. It's not fair. I know. I've been there. It's not fair. I get it. And yes, yes, you, you are supposed to forgive them. And sometimes it takes time. I understand that. I think God understands that too. God knows sometimes it takes time. There has to be a healing of that wound because sometimes when you get a scratch, right, it really doesn't take a lot for that scratch to heal up. It might be gone in a few days, maybe a week. But when you get a really deep wound, those things take longer to heal, don't they? I mean, naturally in our physical bodies. 
So why would we think that it's any different when it comes to being able to really genuinely forgive someone? Because we can say we need to forgive someone because we know it's the right thing to say, but genuinely doing that, sometimes God has to shape us through the gospel and reminding us of who we are for we can genuinely forgive someone because we can say all the right words, but really is it from our heart? You know, kind of like when you were a kid and your mom would say, tell your sister you're sorry. You're like, sorry. That's like the weakest sorry ever, right? There's like no truth behind it. You're just saying it because you know you're supposed to say it. And we do the same thing with God. Oh, I forgive him, God. But then when the situation comes up and, or the person's name comes up and you can talk about it happening like it was yesterday, what they did, and you still feel those emotions that are attached to it, I don't know if you've really forgiven or not. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think we should fool ourselves. And then we get all self-righteous. Well, I, I, I've, I've made peace with God. Now it's all on them. <laughs> we do this stuff. Yeah, now I'm better than them. Oh, yeah, that, that means I've forgiven them, right? No, yeah, that's how that works. But if I see all of the grace and the love and mercy and blessings of God that he's given to me, if I see myself as a, as a container of those things, then I'm just, I'm just running some type of storage business for God. I'm just supposed to store it all up and just soak it all up, Jesus. It's all for me. Man, there's only so much soaking up that even a sponge can do, right? That thing's purpose is not just to soak up so it can be full in and of itself, so it can be wrung out. You gotta, you, you, you gotta be, be poured out like that conduit. I mean, it's so we can receive the blessing, yes, but it's so we can also be distributors of that blessing. And if you've been forgiven much, man, don't you think every one of us have a responsibility to be distributors of that grace and that love and forgiveness? And that's hard sometimes, man. I know. There's people that have done you wrong, I get it. But we don't get to say what's fair and what's just. That's not ours to define. And this is where we're going to wrestle, okay? This is where we wrestle with God, is with this whole fair and just argument. We try to argue with God. That's not fair. God's like, yeah, I know. That doesn't seem very just. Yeah, I know. But guess what? You don't get to define what fair and just is. You don't get to say what is fair and what is just. God does. God says this is fair because he's the one who gets to define it. He gets to say, you know what? You've been forgiven much. And so, yeah, that same grace is being Yeah, but you don't know how bad it hurt me or what they did or how they abused me. I, I know I get it, right? But, but Jesus died for everybody. He died for the whole world. God so loved the world, not just a few select people that were good enough and that behaved well enough that they could receive forgiveness for kind of the misdemeanors. No, no, no. He, he forgives Everyone. Oh, so that's kind of how I'm supposed to do it? Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a nice Christian bumper sticker and something great for a t-shirt, but to live it out, woo! That's tough, isn't it? I mean, not when it's you counseling someone else and giving a friend advice. I'm talking about when it happens to you. (laughs) That's when it's hard. That's when it's difficult. That's when you want to get defensive. That's when we get in this argument with God about fair and just. But the gospel shapes me through mistreatment because it helps me to be someone who gives grace because I understand something. Ephesians 6 and 12, it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness and rulers in high places. 
And because I understand I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood, but this is something evil. This is something that actually, if I hold on to this grudge and I hold on to this bitterness and if I hold on to this offense, it's actually giving power in my life to the enemy. It's actually becoming a stumbling block. And if it becomes a stumbling block, then my offense and and, and my feeling of mistreatment is not right. Then that becomes a stumbling block that actually empowers the enemy in my life. And he doesn't have any power over me. But if I give that to him, it's like me just saying, yeah, here, I want want to be stuck. I want to be bitter. I I want to be angry. I want to drink this poison and hope someone else dies as a result of it. That's that's not how it works. It's a trap. It's a trick of the enemy to make you feel empowered, but really you're not empowered because you're not wrestling against the person. It's not the flesh and the blood like Ephesians 6 and 12 says. It's the principalities. It's the powers of darkness. It's the rulers in high places. It's that spirit of offense that you're actually empowering. So that's not the wrestle is with that person, who, whatever their name is. And the gospel helps me to see that. The gospel helps me to see that even when I'm mistreated, that I can still be a dispenser of grace. Now, I still need to be wise. The Bible says that we need to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. So that means that we need to learn how to put our, not put ourselves in situations where perhaps we will be intentionally mistreated. There, there are certain Certainly wisdom that we need to learn, but that comes through God using our our mistakes to be able to help us to be shaped to live a life that glorifies Him and that will help us grow when we learn from our mistakes, when we learn maybe from, uh, I'm not going down that path, I may not trust that person, I may not want to subject myself to that mistreatment, but either way, forgiveness is, is still required. I want to share with you one more story. I needed to ask for grace and courage to face those who had wounded me and mistreated me in the past. And it's not easy. But when you do, it is so freeing, I promise you. This month, last year, when we hosted the Global Leadership Summit, one of the speakers said something that really bothered me. Because up until this point, I had been taking notes like a good little GLS attendee, writing down all the valuable leadership nuggets, things that were going to transform my leadership, make me a better leader. I was encouraged. I was inspired. I had so many ideas. And then one of the speakers said this, and I was just like, you have ruined my GLS this year. And last year I was sitting here in the sanctuary listening to one of the speakers speak, and he said, you need to give honor to those who gave you your start. And when he said that, the Holy Spirit used that word to reveal to me bitterness and offense that I had held against one of my previous pastors, and I didn't like it. And I sat there and wrestled with it. He wasn't even talking about offense. He was talking about doing something nice and honoring the person that gave you your start. And when I thought about the person who gave me my start, good thoughts did not come in my head. I thought, oh... I don't want to give that person honor. They, uh, they've offended me. They've wounded me. It's been 18 years. But yet I was still holding on to that. And I knew what I was supposed to do. So I got on the phone 
found his number, and I called up my pastor from when I was 18 years old, Terry Walthall, and I said, hey, this is Derek. Blew him away that I called him. And we sat there and talked, and I shared my heart with him, told him what I wanted to do, told him what God had done in my heart. I asked him to forgive me. He asked me to forgive him. It was a wonderful conversation. That was the first of many conversations that he and I began to have over the course of the next few months. And God put it on my heart to bring him up here. And in March of this year, he spoke here at Word of Grace. And we got to spend four days together. And I began to learn that while he was wounding me and hurting me with his words, that he was going through a really dark time as well. And I never knew this. I never knew where he was at. I never knew what was happening, but he shared all these very intimate things about what had been going on in his life and how God had brought him out of all of that and how, you know, he's lost touch with so many people that he burned bridges with because of the way he had treated them, and now he's working on reconnecting that. And I'm like, wow, God put this on my heart to just reach out to you because I heard a guy at GLS say I needed to honor the person that gave me my start. And this guy took a chance on me as an 18-year-old, you know, guy and hired me as his youth pastor. Like, who does that <laughs> This guy did that. I wanted to honor that. And God did so much more than just me honoring him. He restored and repaired and healed a relationship that had been very strained. And he didn't even know it was strained, as bad as it was. Because every time those situations would be brought up, my emotions would get in the way. And now I have healing from that. I have peace from that. I have freedom from that. And God forced me to deal with this. And I'm like, I don't want to. And but when I did, the freedom that came was unreal. And then he came here to this church and ministered out of his brokenness and, and revealed his heart to everyone and shared his struggles and his past and some of the things he had been through. And people came up to he and his wife weeping, and he got to pray with so many people who had struggled with divorce and who had, who had been having marriage issues. And they got to pray for so many people. It was beautiful, man. And his wife, even, who had been wounded by the church in the past, she came up to me and she said, the way you've treated us since we've been here, she said, has been better than any church has ever treated us. And she said, I'm beginning to have my faith in the local church restored again because of the way that your church has treated us. God was doing this huge, big work. But somebody had to step up. And somebody had to say, I need to make a phone call. I didn't know God was going to do all that. I just knew I needed to be obedient. The gospel shapes us through mistakes, through misfortune, and through mistreatment. We can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I shared my stories with you today, not just because they make great examples, but I shared my stories with you for a greater purpose. Because I want you to know that you all have stories. Every one of you in this room, you all have stories. Your stories are no more or less significant than mine. They're your stories. And you have stories that are yet to be written about how the gospel is going to shape you through mistakes you're going to make, through misfortune that you may experience in the future, and through mistreatment that maybe you haven't walked through yet. The gospel could still shape you through that because it keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus. God wants you to share those stories with other people just like I've shared with you today. I've been extremely vulnerable and transparent with you today, church, because I want you to see the power of sharing your stories. 
You may not stand up here on this platform and share those stories with other people, but you may be able to share them with a coworker or with your spouse or with a friend over coffee. And the impact of what God has done in your life can impact them by seeing and showing them how God has kept you and has sustained you and has strengthened you through all these trials, all because you have completely gone back to Jesus and said, yes, Jesus, it's still about you. Jesus, you're still my heart. You're still my focus. The gospel's still shaping you. And it will continue to shape you for the rest of your life. My desire is that we would all continue to be shaped through that. As that we remind ourselves through the gospel. All for the glory of God. Philippians 4 and 12 through 13 says this. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this word and pray that it would pierce the heart of every person here. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to continue to grow through being shaped in the gospel, through our mistakes, through our misfortunes, and through our mistreatments. All those things that we experience, Lord, help us to continually be driven back to the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself for us, for giving us an eternal perspective, for showing us the weight of our sin and the weight of your goodness. Thank you for helping us to have the courage to live this thing out and be conduits and not containers. I pray that you help us to put this word into practice, each and every one of us, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.